This episode of Jewish Songwriter is brought to you by Temple Israel of the City of New York, a welcoming family of families devoted to community and repairing the world, located on Manhattan's Upper East Side. With an early childhood center, religious school education through high school, weekly musical services, and an inspiring array of social, educational, young professional, and Israel-centered programming and trips, you're sure to find your home in this warm and inclusive community. To learn more, check out www.tinyc.org. That's tinyc.org. Welcome to Jewish Songwriter, shining a light on the people and stories behind contemporary Jewish music, one song at a time. I'm your host, Sheldon Lowe, and now, on to the interview. This week's Jewish Songwriter is Beth Schaefer. Welcome to the show, Beth. Thank you, Sheldon. I am actually really, really, really excited, as I am every week, but in particular this week, to get to chat with you because... um, You are one of the people that uh, I have always really, really admired. And I think what a lot of people maybe don't know uh, is that you actually recorded on my very first album and my very first Jewish album. And uh, I'm just really honored to get to speak with you today and to get to share um, just the beautiful you with all of the listeners. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, you're so sweet. And I am very excited to speak with you, too. And um, it's been a joy to kind of watch you grow from that seminal project um, to where you are now. So um, for our listeners who may not know you or who may not know your backstory, could you tell us um, exactly how you came to be a Jewish musician? Sure. Um, I think I've had a couple of chapters in my um in my Jewish music story. Um, So when I was a kid, uh, I belonged to uh, a temple in Manalapan, New Jersey. Uh, I am a Jersey girl, that's where I grew up. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, Temple Shari Emeth was the first temple I had ever really set foot in. My family hadn't joined a temple or been part of a congregation until I was nine years old. And so I got my real first taste of what Jewish worship was um, as a nine-year-old. Um, I had already been playing guitar for a little over three years at that point. So wow. going on Friday nights was exciting for me because it was live music. Like every Friday night there was there was live music and I got to meet uh, our cantor and I really don't remember how he learned that I play guitar, but, but by the time I was 11, he asked if I would be his accompanist um, for his cantorial concert. And so I got a little taste of what it felt like to be on a bima. So I was, I was accompanying him for that, and I really loved that experience. Became a song leader when I was in high school, a uh, local song leader. I was not involved in Jifty, uh, which is what uh, my Nifty region was at that time. And um, post-college, I settled in Orlando, Florida, and found a temple that I could go to, let them know that I was a guitar player if they ever needed a guitar player. And um, within a year, I was doing monthly services, and then they um, they parted ways with their, their soloist at the time and said, would I audition for the pulpit? I kind of started to sharpen my skills there. Uh, I left there after four years and ended up 
being asked to lead a startup congregation on the other side of town. And um, what started as doing a monthly service and an occasional life cycle event led to a 14-year relationship uh, where I was their leader. And, um, and it became a real um, wonderful growth period for me, both as, as a leader in the Jewish community, as a writer, because I had so much um, experiences that I could draw from to write about. I want to switch gears here and talk about History Will Ask, your, uh, your new song. Can you tell us um, about the inspiration? After the 2016 election, there was obviously a lot of unrest and um, a lot of worry, a lot of anxiety in the country, and, and with, with good reason. I was very uh, anxious myself about the direction of the country, and I watched um, as the Parkland shooting happened, and uh, things were uh, being stirred up uh, that should make us all feel uneasy. Um, I watched a lot of people step right up and immediately become activists and start marching for causes, showing up at the state capitol to lobby. Um, and that was really moving to me. And then I saw people who didn't step up, um, who are standing on the sidelines, who are kind of waving their hands and saying, oh, it's not that bad. Um, and my words to them are, we're going to look back at this time. This is a critical time in our history. And we're going to look back at this time and we're going to ask, did we do enough to write the course of our nation? History is going to ask that of us. And what is our answer going to be? Because we owe it to our children, um, whether we have children or just the children who are living their childhoods now, who are the next generation who will inherit the world that we are right now in charge of. And history is going to ask, when they read recorded history, what did you do? And um, there are a lot of things at stake here. But also, uh, I read an article um, by a professor, I believe, at Purdue University, who wrote about uh, what is the role of the artist in times of war? Uh, the role of the artist in times of war is to provide the rally and cry for the soldier. And so even if I'm not marching at the front of the line, if I can create the soundtrack, if I can help give word to those people who are, who are fighting that fight, um, then I feel like I'm using my gifts for, for good. Hey, it's Sheldon here, just interrupting to tell you that today's podcast is brought to you by Banzoogle, who makes it easy to build a stunning website for your music in minutes. I've tried all of the major template-based sites, and the reason I use Banzoogle is because the whole platform is really built for musicians, with features like a free custom domain name, a commission-free store, unlimited download codes, and an email list platform for managing your list, sending targeted emails and analytics built right into your subscription. You can click the link in the episode notes or go to bandzoogle.com and use promo code JEWISHSONGWRITER, all one word, to try it free for 30 days and get 15% off the first year of your subscription. That's promo code JEWISHSONGWRITER. 
Banzoogle, websites built for musicians by musicians. Um, for those listeners who uh, want to learn more about how they might be able to share the song in their community and be, you know, be your radio station, do you have any tips or do you have any um, ways that you've uh, discovered through sharing this song that um, make it land really well or or ways that um, people connect with it and are able to participate and engage with it? I have been at a number of uh, political events here in Atlanta, Georgia, where I live uh, and asked to play. Um, and that is the song I close with every time. Anytime I am playing out, I, I try not to make my appearances political but this song is informed by my Jewish understanding of mercy and justice and goodness. And so I feel that anytime I'm in any setting, uh, it's an appropriate song to play. We actually did a, a show together a few months ago, and I, mm -hmm. I asked permission to play the song because, again, yep. you know, I don't want it to be uh, construed as being party-driven, because it's not. It's values-driven. Mm -hmm. Playing it whenever I can, certainly live. Anymore, it's not enough to have a song. There's, there needs to be a video. We're, in a, we're in, a, mm -hmm. in a video age. So not just posting a link to the audio, but being able to post a link to the video um, in a few different forums, both on a public Facebook forum and then in a few private forums that uh, I'm a part of. Um, has allowed me to share the song with a broader audience and of course to make it available for other people to use if they are in a position where they're leading a group uh, in a rally or in a service um, uh, the, the sheet music is free on my website so you can download it you can perform it you can use it um, it is a message that I think is an important one and so I want to remove any any barriers to to being able to use it. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you're a prolific and talented and veteran songwriter. Um, I'm wondering if you have any um, advice. Let's say, let's start off with advice to other songwriters, whether they be amateurs or whether they've been, you know, veteran songwriters. Sure, um, I write a lot in English. Um, and when I do, uh, one of the things that I try to do is really paint with words, um, to use as much imagery as possible, to use metaphors when they're not too out there and esoteric, to draw a picture that someone can see. I tell kids when I work with them, don't go for the easy rhyme. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times we end up choosing a word because it rhymes, but it's not the word that really paints the picture you want to paint. So take your time in finding your words. Don't settle for simple. I mean, and sometimes simple is exactly what, what the song calls for, but also don't be afraid of searching for that exact right word. Mm-hmm. And I struggle with that. I mean, some of my lyrics are horrific um, because I because I didn't do that. <laughs> and, um, yep. you know, and I listen back to those songs and just cringe that that mm -hmm. is now out there forever. Um, <laughs> Thank you for saying that. But we all do. <laughs> oh, my goodness. A guiding principle for things that are in Hebrew is to honor the Hebrew. 
linguistically to honor the Hebrew, meaning to be sensitive to where the accents fall, um, to not shove a Hebrew word into a melody that's going to throw the accent on the wrong syllable of Hebrew. Mm -hmm. So I try to be sensitive to that, you know, just from a grammatical and linguistic standpoint. But then also, um, what does the Hebrew mean? And am I marrying this Hebrew to a melody that's reflective of, of what it means? You know, so if, a, mm -hmm. if the piece of text that you're using has a liturgical function that is a pensive time or comes out of silent meditation, you know, this might not be the time for a four on the floor rocker, even though you've got a right. great groove and a great melody, um, just deciding to marry that to a piece of text because it's there doesn't mean that it's the best marriage. Mm -hmm. um, lastly, um, I'm a melodist, you know, I like melodies that have a shape I like melodies that imply harmony that might be more than three or four chords. That's kind of disqualified my music, I think, to a certain degree from, mm -hmm. from uh, you know, a standard song leader's repertoire. Mm. And, Interesting. And I've learned to live with that. I, I am not the world's best ditty writer. There are some really, really infectious songs that are just so perfect in their simplicity and i think that skill right. eludes me to a little to a, for, uh, to a certain degree do you have any particular exercises songwriting exercises or do you have any um writing tools that you highly recommend um sure a, a couple um one is i i my best friend is uh the recorder on my phone um <laughs> i would say a few times a week, I get a little melodic idea, and I sing it into my phone. I have, right now, I think 204 little ideas. Um, I uh -huh. usually just hum and maybe, you know, tap on myself to, you know, to imply the groove. Right. And many of those have turned into two songs, because I get melodic ideas that in really biz bizarre <laughs> settings that I... Uh, you know that's you know, the color commentator of my life is is mm -hmm. is there always but there's also just little melodies and little grooves uh going all the time and um when i sit still long enough to write them down i'll open finale and just literally jot jot down the melody and i have a, a ongoing sketchbook now a finale sketchbook of of melodic ideas um that i can mm. go back to I also have um, in my notes on my phone little phrases that I collect. I have um, I have a song called um, "Children of Freedom," mm -hmm. and the the melody for the for the chorus is is very singable. The whole thing happens in five notes. I mean, it's it's very easy, and um, I I sent a little basic recording of it to our friend and colleague Julie Silver mm -hmm. and uh, she wrote me back and said I love the chorus the melody to the verses suck <laughs> and um, and quote. so um, those who know Julie Silver know that's a direct quote uh, that's great it's good to have friends like that seriously yeah no she and aside from being one of my dearest friends um, she's been a musical confidant and and uh, someone I can bounce things off of and it's important to have those those people who will be honest with you. Mm -hmm. 
but you know, for her to say that made me go back and rewrite the melody to the verses of Children of Freedom, and because of that, it became one of my one of my better melodies. Mm. Was there anything that we didn't cover that you wanted to mention? I think I'm really most grateful for colleagues who encouraged my craft, who made a space for me to explore that, gave me space on a stage. You know, people who who have become some of my dearest friends, Julie Silver, Doug Kotler, Joe Black, um, Josh Nelson, people who have, uh, Craig Taubman, people who, who, who made space, who practiced some tsim tsum and, um, and made a space for me to, to offer my voice. I'm incredibly grateful. Uh, and, and I do hope that you and I and those who maybe would be considered the next generation from them can be as, as gracious and graceful in creating space for what's new. And I'm really, really excited about what's happening. Mm-hmm. I am loving some of the influences from outside of the reform movement. And I would say to anyone who's getting into this, listen to as much music as possible, not just from a homogenous uh, group of people, but you know, allow world music to influence you, allow classical music to influence you, allow jazz to influence you. All of those things bring color and texture to what we do. And it's important. We don't want our music to become singular in its sound. Um, We want it to be varied and colorful. Okay. The rules of the lightning round are you have to give your first answer that comes to mind. You can't think about it. Oh, goodness. Just as close to one word answers as possible. Oh, goodness. I'm so bad at <laughs> spontaneity. Um, I'll do my best. That's what makes these great. Oh, goodness. They're, they start easy. What is your favorite <laughs> breakfast cereal? Raisin Bran. What's your most used emoji? The um, one with the heart eyes. Who would play you? In your biopic? Bonnie Raitt. Bonnie Raitt. Great answer. Uh, What's the song you're embarrassed to love? Afternoon Delight. (laughs) This is a PG podcast, by the way. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, What's the song that you wish you wrote? Salisbury Hill. Nice. I just want to thank you so, so much, Beth, for coming. Uh, It's been a real honor and a pleasure to get to speak with you and learn from you as always. Thank you so much, Sheldon. This is History Will Ask by Beth Schaefer. Freedom's held hostage by hatred and fear Crying a desperate cry
That's it for this episode of Jewish Songwriter. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on Spotify, YouTube, and Facebook. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. On the next episode of Jewish Songwriter... Hey, it's Jacob Spike Kraus. Jewish Songwriter is produced by Sheldon Lowe, edited by Ben Mazak of Industrial Strength Productions in St. Louis, Missouri, and distributed by Hallelujah Music. Until next time, keep writing out there, and thanks for listening. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah.